The Money Show. Business Unusual. With Colin Cullors. Popier, Colin, popier. It's been a very popular topic today all over the internet. Um, and uh, in my inbox, it's been an incredibly busy place today, buzzing with activity. Uh, and good activity, I think, because uh, it's it's a most welcome act. Uh, I think a lot of people will believe that it is possibly long overdue. There'll be a lot of people that are going to struggle with it. This is not an easy act for most businesses who are well-intentioned and want to do the right thing to easily implement because managing data and the amount of data there is, is hard to manage. But soon as we are uh, noting it because of a relatively auspicious day tomorrow being when the final parts of it are enacted, I thought I'd mention another uh, significant number to you uh, from a previous business unusual we did. And that is that today is the hundredth day that the ever given has been sitting in the bitter <laughs> sea in the middle of the Suez Canal waiting to be released. They have finally uh, agreed a price with the Egyptian authorities that would allow for its release, although the final details still have to be resolved. So mid-July sometime is when it probably will arrive in Rotterdam finally to start offloading cargo, uh, assuming some of that cargo can still be used. But that's pretty incredible that the world stood still for those six days and then forgot about it as it stood there for another hundred Uh, But back to Poppy, and uh, ahead of the show, I did ask uh, how many people did get those uh, contacts asking for permission to continue contacting you. I gave people options too many and opted out, which 48% said, yes, that was the case. And then about uh, less than 20% for each of the ones that said, yes, they did receive a lot, but they opted in for most. And then others that said, I didn't get that money or didn't get get that many or didn't get any at all. Uh, And so the reason that we have uh, this act finally arriving here uh, given that quite often it's it's us in the traditional media, if I can term us that way, that think this is all because of the horrible internet and the uh, nasty intrusions that come from online stuff. Uh, but truthfully, we started the problem. Uh, and so my usual little bit to give you a bit of a potted history uh, was that we started collecting information about people way back in uh, in the day with censuses. Uh, and, and certainly one of them for religious people will know that uh, Mary and Jesus sort of had to be in a particular place because at the time they were trying to count all the citizens of of the empire. Uh, And that was usually a practical thing. How big is our empire? How many people can supply us with food? How many taxes can we collect? Uh, Who can we send off to war? All those good things were what they were interested uh, then. Uh, But as that grew, um, the, the, the newspaper industry was the first to realize that they were selling newspapers, but they were kind of expensive and they needed a way to supplement their income. Uh, and they did realize that people obviously wanted to be in the newspapers because people read it and they would get attention. Uh, and they hit upon this great idea that you could buy space in the newspaper uh, and then they could make money that way. Uh, and as a consequence of that, it grew uh, with large national newspapers, of course, reaching many, many people. So the ads would be expensive. Uh, and if the business wasn't sort of big enough to sell products right across the country, then it would look for an alternative and they would go and uh, find options in, in a local market. And so you had this sort of notion of saying, where is this newspaper published? Who's reading the newspaper? What readers are reading it? Give us more information. Strictly speaking, newspapers didn't have a lot of information. They knew how many people bought it, and they knew that typically more than one person might read it, but that was as good as it got. Then along came radio uh, and became hugely popular, although once again, bit of a head scratcher, how do we make money out of this thing? Uh, and in part because many of those first radio broadcasters were owned by uh, telephone companies, they used the cost of a telephone call, i.e. you pay per time, to work out how advertisers would pay for advertising and they still do you pay according to the length of your ad Uh, and on that basis well broadcasters again could reach huge areas 
And the question was, who are you reaching? Uh, when are you reaching them? And so all of that data was being collected, although, again, it was done on the basis of surveys. Everybody was, you know, specifically contracted to, to ask and supply this information. TV similarly gave all of that stuff. That all changed, though, when the Internet came along because the World Wide Web effectively allowed you to connect one-to-one rather than one-to-many as it was in the past. And this is when, effectively, the attention economy really kicked off. Traditional media didn't really think too much of the Internet. They thought it was a bit of a fatty thing. They, they dabbled in a little bit, but they never really saw how big it could come. But two companies did. One was the search engines, and most notably that's Google, and the other were the, uh, let's call them social companies, the pl- social platforms, and they're the, the big one is Facebook. And the genius thing that Facebook did, because it wasn't the first social network, and it uh, certainly uh, wasn't the only one at the time when it was formed. But up until that point, most of these online blogs and uh, community forums, etc., would ask you to create a username. You'd make up one. It's a nickname. And they wouldn't really care too much about you. They cared about what you were interested in because they connected with other people that were interested in what you wanted to do, chat about. So academics would get together or sort of hobbyists and nerds and geeks in the early internet were sort of, uh, that, that's what they were interested in. But then Mark Zuckerberg hits upon this idea of connecting university students. And of course, if you're a university student, you actually want to know your other actual students. You didn't create a nickname. They asked you your real name. That was both genius and the spark that created this entire online privacy debacle because not only did they ask for your name because yeah. it was the university they said ha huh, uh, what school did you go to maybe tell us who your um, oh. your, uh, your your partner is or, or maybe your parents or, or your siblings and they'd load all that information onto your profile which we'd love to do it's let's add this all in it, it looked very nice they would ask us about our movies and books we liked and bands we liked all sorts of information that we freely gave and then as more people started joining um, and I said oh I'm Colin and my brother had already joined it says ha huh, do you know your brother and of course, I know my brother. It's like, well, that's easy. I'll just connect with my brother. And I began to find, you know, former colleagues, old teammates that played football with you, or maybe old school mates. You, you, you laugh because you know that's exactly, exactly. how we got sucked in yeah. to allowing this massive network to be created to connect us all. Then along came Steve Jobs, which was the anniversary just this week to announce the iPhone in 2007. And that too moved from us having access to the internet on occasion to having access to the internet all the time and everywhere. Now it wasn't just that they knew who we were connecting with, they knew where we were connecting. And I think, you know, back then, even traditional media were thinking, yeah, so what, who cares? Um, But if only we'd woken up to it, if only we understood the potential back then, it would have been so, so different. Because these sorts of laws, we would have been acting a long time ago, rather than lawmakers, as little as two years ago, looking at Mark Zuckerberg and saying, you know, how does this work? And really being quite befuddled by how it all works. And, And I say this, and I give you the whole history, because I think a lot of people still are unsure about all this works, how it gets paid for, and, and what, what effectively they are exchanging uh, to be able to have this. So explain and There is then. a YouTube video that, what, 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 the, the, which part? Uh, but how it all works. I mean, I know you've got five oh, oh, the whole thing. Uh, right. yeah, 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 you've got five minutes, so <laughs> go on. Plenty of time. That, a tall order. But, but here was the cautionary tale from, a, from a, a young YouTuber back in the day. He would take his Instagram account and turn on the location settings so he could see the posts that were made around him. He'd then go to look to see for the most recent posts. Typically, they would, be a, they would have been uh, sent by somebody who was still there. He'd then look around for them because he can see all of the pictures they post and say, ah, there's that person. Have a look and see what they posted. You know, oh, they got a dog and they live in this area and they like drinking this drink. Then they'd wander up to them. This is all filmed as a little prank video. Uh, wander up to them and introduce himself as if he was a long lost friend. Of course, they were surprised because this was a complete stranger to them. And then you see their faces as they move from surprise to completely freaked out. 
about how much <laughs> this guy knew about them, just chatting to them. And at the point at which they're really starting to, you know, start looking for police or something, he explains that he simply checked this out on their Instagram feed because they made all of their posts public and used the location. At that point, almost all of them agreed to say, I'm definitely going to be changing those settings. And that was what we took too long to do. Too long to tell people, you don't need that information, so I'm not going to share it with you. Uh, and so that's kind of how it works. They scoop up all sorts of information without us knowing it or that we think is innocuous, and away it goes. And the notion of saying, oh, well, I've got nothing to hide. Well, if that was the case, nobody would need a, a, a door on their bathrooms. You don't close the door because you've got something to hide. You close the door because it's simply not something that needs to be public. That's the difference and the reason why we have these things. But thankfully, uh, <laughs> thankfully, Europe sort of uh, realized that they didn't like this. So in 2018, they kicked off with the GDPR Act. Our own one is based on it. Uh, we did get started with this because in South Africa, it wasn't so much the online scams that were getting us. But, well, that was, but it was email and SMS scams back in 2009 uh, that sort of kicked it all off. And so the first one uh, happened then. 2013, Poppy uh, came into place. And what comes into effect now is a whole slew of extra things. There's over 100 uh, different categories of stuff that needs to come into place uh, from tomorrow. Um, and, and the other big shift is when you do something wrong, it used to be the South African Human Rights Commission that you'd need to have to go and petition to say somebody is abu abusing my personal information that all shifts across now to the information regulator. And while we can celebrate that this is coming into effect tomorrow, the information regulator does acknowledge they can't do everything just yet. And one big one, and they put out a, an update today to say they're not going to be able to uh, apply it yet. It'll only come into effect in February next year, is the one that says you need pre-authorization to use people's information. And this typically relates to people like um, the big social media companies. So Facebook knows who you are on Facebook. And they know who you are on WhatsApp. But for them to be able to combine those profiles and start understanding more about what you're doing, you need to um, you need to get prior permission from the information regulator who doesn't quite have access to that at the moment. So that's where uh, the bit is uh, a little stuck for the moment. Uh, but thankfully, for legitimate businesses, a great way to get compliant, do this and stay in touch with your uh, subscribers, your fans and everybody else. Bruce, I can tell you the people who receive emails about your show are very grateful that they're able to get those emails, even if we do have to double check that they do give consent to get that. And so those things are all good. But the plus side is that all those other guys, those fly um, seat of the pen stuff, or I'll just t try a quick little uh, uh, cash and cash grab with, with these sort of things. There are now some significant fines and jail time that comes if people do this, including if there are data breaches. Now in the past, you were lucky if you found out that there was something that went wrong. Now you have to uh, actually do something about it. So light at the end of the tunnel, for me, and I'm mindful that while, you know, the Pandora's box, as it were, on privacy is gone, our, our age of anonymous innocence is never to return. But if there was hope at the bottom of that box that was still left there, then perhaps it's going to be uh, brought back to us, thanks to Poppy, and us being able to get a little more protection from tomorrow than we had before. Wonderful. Colin Cullors, thank you very much indeed. Yeah, I've got nothing to hide. I love the analogy of the bathroom door. It's a good one. Thank you, Colin Cullors, Business Unusual.